Uh, if, you, if you don't have your Bibles yet, go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be going through the Gospel of Mark. We are in chapter 12, the Gospel of Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44, Mark 12, 38 through 44. And uh, while, you're, while you're flipping there, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, just confess, and we confess together that if it wasn't for your spirit, all that we do here would be powerless and fruitless, but we confess that, um, that we need you, we need you to move. Uh, I need you, God, to, to speak your word through me. I, I need help remembering that this is about you, this is about your word and your purposes for, for your word and for your, for your gospel that you use the, the weak things of the world. And God, we all need you to be hearers, humble hearers, to receive your word, to be able to say that, that we need to be taught by you. God, I pray for honesty as your word goes out and as your spirit speaks and moves that as it hits, hits each one of us, that we would be honest enough to admit where we're at as it hits us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44, uh, let's, let's go ahead and read it. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So we're in the Gospel of Mark. Mark is telling the Gospel of Jesus, the story of Jesus, and we're in this part of the story where things are heating up. It's getting closer and closer to the Lord's crucifixion. Uh, in the next chapter, as soon as we're done with this, Jesus is going to spend 
what we have is a full chapter of end times, and then after, after that chapter, after that point, it's Jesus' betrayal and Jesus' crucifixion. So right here in this story is like the end of the, the, um, the dialogue and the conflict between him and as he's teaching in the temple, he goes and he teaches and they come and they test him and they try to make him look bad and they try to um, make him look like a heretic in front of the people and they try to get him to get arrested by the Romans. They're trying everything that they can. But at this point, this is like the end of that. Uh, and one of the things that it said in one of the last verses that we read was that they, they couldn't answer him. and They couldn't ask him any more questions. They tried and they tried and they tried and they were silenced. They had nothing left. And so Jesus now turns to the crowd and he has this teaching to them. But actually in Luke, it says that it was to his disciples in the hearing of all the people. So this this is kind of like a transition period. He's teaching publicly in the temple uh, and he's going daily. And now at this point, he's kind of turning to his disciples and he's making this a teachable moment for them. But like I said, it's ramping up. It's, it's getting more intense. It's getting to the point where Jesus is going to offer himself to be murdered by sinful men. And so we come to this point where we pick it up in our passage where uh, Jesus is interacting with the scribes in particular. These are the Jewish lawyers, the experts in the law, those who, uh, those who were, were, drew up legal documents and they were in charge of the interpretation of the law and they were experts in the law and, and between Jewish law and actual, like a lawyer would today, they were in charge of and experts of uh, contracts and legal documents and uh, things to, of that nature. But he's, he's going to announce to his disciples this warning. And it's very interesting. As we dig into it, we'll see what this warning is all about. But this, uh, this passage of scripture that we have is really broken down into like two parts. The first part is a warning against the infection and the pride of hypocrisy. And the second half is Jesus pointing to uh, in a direction of, of really trust and generosity. So in, in the first part, we see Jesus uh, warning the disciples and this crowd. Um, and, and Jesus is the way. But he's not just the way of salvation, he's the way of godliness. And so he's, he's showing the way of godliness, and he's making, what he's doing here, he's making a clear distinction between his way and the false way. Because he's preparing his disciples to walk in that way. But he's also using the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders as an example. He's making a clear line drawn and a distinction between that. Look, this is, this is what's going to die. And then this is the way that will live on. So he's making a clear distinction. But I, I want you to think about how strange it would have sounded to everybody listening, that Jesus was warning of the scribes. The the Jews were not prone to think of fellow Jews as the enemy. 
they were thinking of Rome as the enemy. So they were under this oppression of Rome. And so it would have been pretty normal to, 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 the, to the audience to hear Jesus go, beware of, of Rome, beware of the idolatry that you see in them, beware of, of the, the uh, flagrant immorality that you see in them, beware of, of how they try to steal your money through, through uh, taxing you. You know, all these things that would have sounded very normal to them, but Jesus doesn't warn of the outsiders here. He warns of the insiders. And how strange it would have sounded to them for Jesus to say, look out for your own. Look out for, uh, not for them, not look out for what's, what they might do to you, but look out for yourselves and, and who you are. It wouldn't have been a warning uh, uh, from, uh, to, from, to, to them about them or about the outsiders. It would have been a warning uh, to, for, the, for the listeners. It would have been to us about us, if that makes sense. So it would have been strange. The scribes were, were the leaders of the day. They were, they were supposed to be the ones leading the children of Israel in, in, uh, in spiritual matters and in, in leading them to God. And so Jesus is, is warning of them, and, and these, these, these listeners would have been like, why are you warning of our, our leaders? They, they're devoted, they're, their entire lives are devoted to praying for us, and their, their entire lives are devoted to the scriptures. Why are you warning of them? And he goes into the temple, and he's stirring things up, and they, they probably were confused. So why? Why is Jesus warning of these Men, well, let's look at it a little bit closer. So he says, beware of the scribes. Beware, like look out, like stay away from them. Like don't be like them. Don't repeat their sins. Why? Well, it says, who like to walk around in long robes. Um, This speaks of their self-righteousness. It says that they like to walk around in long robes. It wasn't just that they you know, wore long robes. There wasn't anything sinful about the clothes that they wore. It's that they liked it so much that they liked to look righteous. And these robes were accompanied by uh, what were called phylacteries. They were these little boxes with, uh, with little scrolls in them. And they would tie it to their, their, their head, and it would be this little box right here on their forehead, and they would tie one to their arm, and it would be their display of their devotion to God. And it says that, and they like greetings in the marketplaces. This speaks of their pride and their desire to be made much of through popularity. And it says that uh, they have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the feasts. Um, I think one of the things that speaks about here is their selfishness, their complete blindness to the, the, uh, the honor that other people might deserve. It says that they devour widows' houses. Uh, houses could be also translated as state. Because like I said, they were, they, were, they were the ones that drew up the legal documents and 
related to that, they would be the ones who would, um, they were supposed to protect the estate. And they claim to protect the estate of these widows. But actually says that they devoured the estate or the houses of these widows. This speaks of their greed. The word devour, I was just watching my dog the other day. Uh, my, my, my daughter fed our dog, and, and he's a big guy. And he's, 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 he's getting tall. He's, he's a Bernie doodle. And uh, so she, she feeds him, and immediately, man, he sprints to that, that bowl, and he's just like, rah, 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 just devouring, and the, the bowl is like moving across the room, you know, as he's, as he's eating it. And then when it's all empty, he's still just licking, 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 he's just like still going. And then when it's all done, he's just like looking around and sniffing, and he's like, where's the rest? Where's the rest? So that's like devouring. It's like it speaks of this insatiable desire that it's not satisfied with one widow's house. It's like still there. It's still insatiable. It's still driving them. Their greed is, is driving them to take from these helpless widows. This is a metaphor that Jesus gives us. It, it gives you a picture of, uh, of a predator who's just like seeking to devour, like similar is what is said about Satan. It says that they, for a pretense... Make long prayers. Now, obviously, this speaks of their hypocrisy. And what it does is it tells us their reason for their long prayers. The reason for their long prayers was a cover-up. It was a masking of what was really going on in here. And so we can get a little bit better feel for why Jesus is warning of these guys. But he finishes it off by saying that they will receive the greater condemnation. You know, again, I think that would have been very odd for them to hear. Because these were the righteous ones, the ones that they looked up to, their leaders. And not only do we have an unexpected warning about them, we have an unexpected description about them, now we have an unexpected pronouncement of damnation about these guys. And think about it, it took the eternal Son of God, the the Messiah, to arrive on the scene to see through all of this. Nobody else saw this. Everybody else was looking at them like, oh, I want to be like them. Maybe maybe they knew, you know, deep down, but even if they did see it, they wouldn't have been powerful enough or brave enough to, to stand up and say anything. Jesus has arrived on the scene and, you know, while everybody else sees the elite blessed, Jesus sees the damned hypocrites. Now, I think one of the things that we need to, to recognize is that all of these things that Jesus is pointing out is they're the acceptable sins. They're not the things that we would normally point out as, you know, uh, sinful and the things that we need to stay away from. You know, I think a lot of times we think of, you know, sexual immorality, um, staying away from pornography, uh, not smoking or drinking, and, you know, those kinds of things, which um, surely the the scriptures speak uh, against those things. But the things that are more acceptable to us, the things that aren't necessarily 
noticed or, or called out among us are these things that Jesus notices in this text and in this story and in these people, and he's drawing it out. And, and you know what he's doing? He's being so protective of his new disciples, and he's saying, may it not be within you guys. Beware of these guys. This is not how my disciples will operate. We see a little bit more full description of um, Jesus' teaching here in this moment in Matthew chapter 23. He spends uh, a, a big chunk of time. Uh, you, you guys know, probably are, are familiar with the times where Jesus pronounces woes upon the religious leaders. Well, this is the same teaching where he, in, Ma- in Matthew 23, he, he spends a, a good chunk of time on woes in this same teaching. And so just a couple here I'll, I'll pull out. In verse 27 of Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. These guys were experts in the law. And he's saying you're, 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 you're inwardly full of lawlessness. And, and just a couple verses later, he says, You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? This is the Jesus that we know and love. That he speaks truth. And sometimes that means a pronouncement of condemnation on those who stand condemned. So we have two different pictures of the scribes. We have how they present themselves, and we have how God sees them. Um, Jesus, the Son of God, filled with the Spirit without measure, always sees things according to how God the Father sees them. So here he is, looking upon the situation where everybody else is fooled and he sees through it. You know, this is a good reminder that we can't fool God. We can't. We can fool people. We can fool each other. But we can't fool God. And it reminds me of um, when, when kids are little, before they get too good at lying, you know, they do things like, they have chocolate on their faces and on their hands, and, and you're like, did you eat that cookie? And they're like, mm-mm. You know? Like, they really think that you can't tell and that it's not obvious to you. They really are convinced in their minds that you can't see it. And that's how we are, you guys. We really get really convinced that God can't see through our act. Um, you guys have that Berenstain Bears book called Berenstain Bears and the Truth. You ever heard, you heard of that one? It's one of my favorites. Um, so it's a story about brother and sister bear. They're kick, kicking around the soccer ball in the house, and Mama Bear says, no kicking around the soccer ball in the house. And um, so go outside, and I'm going to go shopping. So she goes shopping, and they're outside for a little bit, and they, you know, lose track of that rule, and they come back in the house, and they're kicking around the ball. 
And obviously, they break mama's favorite lamp. And they, what they, they start thinking through this story of what they're going to tell Mama Bear when she comes back home. And sure enough, Mama Bear comes back from shopping and, you know, the gasp as she sees her favorite lamp on the ground. And she says, what happened to this lamp? And they're like, it was a bird. It, it was a purple bird with, with uh, green wings and, like, yellow feet. And then Papa Bear comes in, and he's like, what happened to Mama Bear's lamp? And they're like, it was a, it was a bird. It was a, it was a green bird with, with yellow wings and, and purple feet. Papa Bear's like, mm, this isn't quite lining up. He's like, are you sure it wasn't a uh, white bird with black spots like that soccer ball right there? And they're just like, <gasps> and uh, Mama Bear, she says something that kind of breaks the kids. She says, you know, I'm not sad about the lamp. The lamp can be replaced. The lamp could be put back together. She says, what I'm sad about is that my cubs, whom I've always trusted, might be lying to me. And trust is not something you can put back together. Um... Is there, is there anybody here today who you know that you haven't been able to trust God enough to be honest? And that you've forgotten, number one, that he sees, but number two, that he wants you to trust him with what he sees. Are you willing to give up the act? Not just one time, but all the time. You know, Christians, we are supposed to be, or we should be able to be the ones that are the most dead honest people. Because we know that the same God of holiness, the God who uh, is on the throne of, of, of holiness and sees all, is the same God who says, come to me and I will wash you. And I will forgive you. I want to remind you that the cross speaks of two really great truths. Number one, that God, in his hatred for sin, the brutality of the cross shows that he saw it, sees the the, the sin of the world, and hates it. And that, that he saw the sin that we couldn't hide. And number two, that it speaks of a greater love that that none of us have ever understood or seen anywhere else. So that should bring us to the point where we're like, wow, you see me as I am, but you love me more than anybody else that ever could. As the rest of us, uh, as Christians, you know, there is the temptation of giving in to um, putting on a show or hypocrisy, and I think maybe we can ask ourselves some questions as, as a practice of <clears throat> fending off hypocrisy, maybe questions like, the things that I do here in church, would I do those same things in the secret place of prayer? Um, 
the times that we give gifts, would we do that if nobody else saw except for God? Uh, we, we hate <clears throat> the sins of the world, the sins out there that bother us. Do we hate our sin just as much? And we, sometimes we get good at talking about the grace of God, but the question is, do we, are we able to give it out to those who are undeserving? So now we've spent a little time thinking about and talking about the scribes, but Jesus then in the next part <clears throat> points us to in a direction of trust and generosity and points us to a person who seems to care a lot less about what people thought and seems to trust God with what she had instead of trying to um, pretend that she didn't have what she didn't have. Part two, uh, pointing in the direction of trust and generosity. Let's look at verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two copper coins, which make a penny. And he calls his disciples to himself, and he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now, pretty early on, you have to decide how you're going to interpret this. Um, you can either interpret this as Jesus is commending this woman for her, her giving, or you can look at it as um, that uh, she's simply a victim of the Judaism of the day. That's usually how you hear it taught, one or the other. Uh, I listened to two, of, uh, two preachers uh, on this preach a sermon, and they were like the polar opposites on, on those two. Um, so, you know, I studied it, meditated on it for the last couple of weeks, read like five com commentaries on it, really just kind of wrestling through it. This really seems like a straightforward passage, but there are some times when you run across uh, how it needs to be interpreted, and it seems a little bit uh, that you need to do the work. So here's what I came up with. This widow is clearly a victim. There's no doubt about that, okay? She's got nothing but two copper coins. And in the passage before that, we're told why she only has two copper coins. Uh, she is a victim of the scribes devouring her estate. So no doubt about that, that she is a victim. So it doesn't have to be one or the other, completely, but I think something that we have to notice is that Jesus doesn't just say she gave all she had. He, he says something emphatic that we really need to take notice of. He says the phrase, truly I say to you. And whenever Jesus says, truly I say to you, it's like, listen up, he's about ready to say something that is very important. So he wanted to draw your attention and, and the, the attention of his disciples uh, to something. 
So let's read that again, but this time perk up to, the, to, to, to what he's saying and what he's doing with it. So what he says, truly I say to you, then he makes an emphatic statement, and then he explains that statement with, uh, with he starts it off with the word for. So truly I say to you, emphatic statement, and then the explanation. It, it'd be like me saying, truly I say to you, it's really hard for me to resist eating the entire box of Oreos for every time it's in the house, everybody else gets like two if they don't get to it soon enough. So it would be something like that. But so let's read it again. Jesus says, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. That's the emphatic statement. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. What's at the center of the emphatic statement? Um, and, and if you look at the explanation, you get a little bit more uh, of clarity on that. It's that it's the comparison between the two. And it's really centering on that she put in more. Again, how weird would that have sounded to these disciples? <clears throat> so let's look at the scene. So you have these offering boxes in the temple. And the offering boxes are in like a public place in the outer court where anybody can come. And uh, you have Jews and proselytes that's traveling from all over the place during this time. And it's just bustling. You have... Uh, from what I looked into, about 180,000 people in Jerusalem right now. That's, that's the population of Salem. So you have all these people. It's bustling. And Jesus, I love this. Jesus is just sitting there, people watching. He's just sitting there. And he's watching people put in the offering. Person after person after person. And these offering boxes are uh, from what I, uh, what I studied. They're, they're trumpet-shaped uh, receptacles. So they're, they, they like come out kind of like this. So where <clears throat> when you put money in there, <clears throat> it makes this like loud ringing sound. And I, I think when Jesus said, you know, when you give, you sound a trumpet, <clears throat> I think this is kind of what he was referring to that it was uh, giving at the temple was, was kind of a show in itself. So every time someone went up and they dropped money in, it was this loud thing. And so picture the scene. You have a wealthy person walking up, and, you know, they have their little bag or whatever. You know, they move on. Here comes the next person. Ding, 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 ding. And the next person, same thing. Loud, showy, looking really good, sounding really good. And then comes this poor widow in rags, likely. Not impressive, not seen by anyone except for maybe Jesus here. And Jesus is watching her very closely. And he understands more than anybody else that she's 
left destitute because of these scribes, because of these religious, religious leaders, that they were supposed to be the ones to protect her, and they actually robbed her. And he's watching her very closely. She walks up. Booking. Two tiny little copper coins would have sounded like nothing. And Jesus sees her, no doubt with compassion, but he's going, disciples, come here and look at this. I want you to catch this. She's put in more than the rest. And the side disciples are like, okay, sure. Um, but, but, but Jesus wants them to see this truth that, that she put in more. Again, it's like, why, why would he be so adamant to try to get them to, to grasp this thing? Why, why would he pull out that phrase, truly I say to you, because they wouldn't have seen it without him pointing it out. And neither would we. So everybody else watching that, watching that lady walk up, that poor widow, they would have seen her offering as practically worthless. Two little copper coins. I mean, that's, that's nothing. But he's training his disciples not only to beware of the false religion, but he wants to define for them more in the kingdom. And, and another thing, does this widow remind you of anybody? Does this poor, overlooked, underestimated person who gave everything remind you of anybody? And, and someone else with no reputation. And from an outside perspective, who seem to give nothing really of any significance. Even what he gave was a complete loss to most people. But the offering was greater than any other offering. Does that remind you of anybody? See, I think that what Jesus notices in this widow is he notices this picture of the gospel, of himself. You can disagree with me, that's okay. Some people feel very strongly that we should never teach this as a giving text, but hopefully I've explained to you why I'm landing here. But I think it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus, the Son of God, who really came and became less than any man, and is in extreme lowliness, gave infinitely more than any of us could ever give, and his perfect and trust obedience to the Father. The Father said, we're giving it all. Jesus said, yes, I'm in. 
And so Jesus came down. He gave his life as a ransom for many to be condemned as a, as a sinner, though he was not a sinner. There, there was never a man who was more perfect and full of grace and truth and reflected the glory of God. And he came from the highest heights of majesty to come down into poverty and he poured himself out to the last drop for us, for our sake. And Jesus gave of himself completely to the Father and the Father gave to us his Son. Romans 8 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? By giving her two last copper coins, what the widow was saying was, there is nothing I would hold back from God. There's nothing I would hold back. In the same way, when the Father gave the Son, He's telling us, there's nothing I would hold back from you. I have given my best. Does it ever feel like God is withholding blessing from you? Does it ever feel like God is reluctant to give you the best, to bless you? Be reminded that the gospel communicates that when God gave Jesus, he said, there is nothing good I would withhold from you. Not a single thing. Again, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. What does it mean that we would be rich? What is that talking about? Well, it says first that he was rich, and then it says that we would be rich. So we have to define our rich by his rich. So let's look at some scriptures that talk about that. Colossians 2, 1 through 3. Now zero in on what makes God rich and what makes us rich. Colossians 2, 1 through 3, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged. This, this is what he struggled for. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. You can if you want. And you were dead in the trespasses of sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, you guys can say that with me? Say, but God. Yeah, say it, say it with, 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 uh, with gumption. But 
God, this is, this is good, you guys, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Okay, another one, and we'll be done with this, this part of, of, of the, the scripture reading. James 2.5, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in what? In faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. To recap, we are rich with his riches. And what are those? Um, the assurance of the understanding of knowing Jesus, the riches of his mercy and his kindness toward us, his love for us, the fact that he has given it and we have received it, and the fact that we have the resurrection life of Jesus within us, flowing through us and out of us. And faith and being fellow heirs of Christ's promise kingdom. Isn't that amazing? That Christ's kingdom, which is eternal, all the other kingdoms are going to fail and crumble, okay? All kingdoms of the, of the earth that have ever existed or ever will exist will crumble and will come to an end, not Christ's kingdom. And we get that kingdom. We get to be fellow heirs of that kingdom. We truly are rich, truly so, God is lavished on us. We are abundantly lavished upon with the riches of God. And how was it made possible? It was by giving. So, how about us? Lavishing riches on others. How is that made possible? By giving. How much? What you have. See, the widow didn't pretend to have what she didn't have. She just gave what she had. And the scribes, as they looked inside, they saw nothing, so they saw the need to pretend and put on an act and try to fool everybody. But we don't need to do that. We don't need to do that. And we need to remember that our more is defined and measured by one's faith. God's not interested in what you don't have. Don't say, well, you know, I'm not so-and-so, I'm, I'm not this, I'm not that, or I don't have this, or I don't have that. Don't say that. In the contentment of what God has given you, whether to the world, from the world's perspective it's a large sum or it's nothing, give it. Give your two copper coins. 
Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not speaking only of, you know, this, uh, this congregation, this church, you know, giving money to Philippi. You know, it's, I'm talking about a, a much more broad perspective here of giving of yourself. You know, you can give time. You know what? Time is actually um, a, 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 maybe a better way to give right now than money. There was a time in my life where God stirred me and moved me, and I was like, oh, I just want to give something to someone, and, and I'd ask a few people, and they're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I don't, need, I don't need anything. And I was like, oh, like discouraged. Like, I don't have anybody to give anything to. But you know what? Time is something that people need because we're, we're just so busy, right? We're just, I'm, I'm, too, I'm too busy. I was doing it this morning because I was thinking about this, this service, and and we're just filling up our time with so many things sometimes. And, and what people need sometimes is for you to just give your time to them. Um, I also want to exhort you to, to, to look at the people that are unseen in our society. I think a lot of times the people that are unseen right now and the people that are devalued in our time right now are the elderly. Those who um, maybe can't contribute in, in our estimation as, you know, um, very uh, sufficient with our time and we're, we're efficiency, you know, people. And, and, and we, we may look at, you know, maybe children or, or maybe people who are a little bit older and go, well, well they can't contribute to that efficiency that I want things to move fast and quick and, and, and you know what, there's no time to bring in someone else who, who, uh, who isn't gonna keep that speed going. You know what, I would say bring, bring them in and, and you know what, and, and say do like Jesus did and, and be like, you have just as much value in this as I do and I can swallow my pride and say, let's bring you in, Let, let's, let's notice the, the gifts and the abilities and, and the two copper coins that God has given you, even though in the world's estimation, they may not be much. So I would encourage you to um, not go with the flow of our society, which is very much to uh, leave those who uh, are older to be unseen and unvalued and be like Christ here. I didn't write a closing statement. So I think I'm just going to end it here in, in prayer. And I have no idea how long I've spent on this. I'm over a minute and 27, 28, 29. Let's go to the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, We have received so much from you. We have your grace and your kindness. We have undeserved favor. We earned death and condemnation just like the scribes. But you have given the gift of your son so that we would believe in him and walk in him and have his inheritance and 
God, we, we truly are rich. I just pray that you would stir your people to be reminded of the riches that they have in you so that it would motivate them to do things that maybe the world might see as reckless, the world might see as insignificant, but that we would be freely givers because we have received from you so perfectly. God, help us to be honest before you, that we would not be ones who think that we need to put on a show, to put on an act, but we would be able to minister to one another, to be open about our needs so that we can meet those needs of one another. God, would, would there be nobody here that would be unseen or left uh, neglected? God, may Philippi be a church where uh, widows are not neglected and not taken advantage of, that the helpless would be helped, that the weak would be lifted up. And God, thank you that you have spoken and that we just get to sit under your teaching. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys are dismissed.